We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And at the end of last week's final pod, I hoped that the Lakers would play hard over their two games over the weekend. And they went one for two. And in a practical sense, I'm very much in a... Let's win the games that we can win. And they did that this weekend. There's not really a version of this team that beats the Phoenix Suns, even without Chris Paul. But there's a version of this team that beats the Washington Wizards, especially playing as they are. And they did exactly that. And so before we get to the absolute butt kicking, once again, that the Phoenix Suns placed on the Lakers, I want to start talking about the Wizards game. And in this pod, I want to talk about the weekend in total rather than just the Phoenix game. Had a homecoming for KCP and Coos. They had their tribute videos and, and all that. But Washington is a team, D, that does not defend the paint particularly well. And I thought the story of this weekend was a story of when microball works and when it does not. And so um, let's start on that Wizards game. I'm curious of your thoughts. Got another 50-piece from LeBron. Uh, the, the team in general was pretty animated. Uh, curious on your thoughts on the Wizards game. So... I think we need qualifiers about the Wizards not being able to defend the paint. Daniel Gafford was managing some things inside and, and he was a deterrent at the basket when he was able to sort of linger around the basket. The Wizards game to me was a lesson in shot making and what happens when one guy or more than one guy can get hot. And like we said this after LeBron scored a bazillion points to beat the Warriors, right? This idea of like, well, if the Lakers need 50 points to beat a team, then that's probably not great. But like, oh, look, hey, it's LeBron again scoring 50 points. And look, the Lakers won. And there's a level that he can still reach in terms of just absolute greatness. And the gravity that he can have, and I don't mean gravity like spacing grav gravity. I mean the gravity of being like Jupiter, right, within the solar system or like the sun. Like you are just such a um, a massive figure within the context of the structure of the court that he opens things up in ways that is just makes things easy 
for his teammates. And, and so the thing that stood out to me most about that game was like some of the shots that LeBron hit were like, these are contested shots, man. Like Kuz was up in him. And he hit that sideline three against Porzingis, I think, where he shot a, an absolute moon ball, right, from the right wing. And that thing almost scraped the scoreboard. And it just dropped right, right in. So LeBron was having one of those nights, Mike, where I can only imagine I'm looking at THT scream in Kuz's face after LeBron hits hits the three that, that takes him to 50. But there were incremental steps throughout that that game where I can only imagine what it was like for you in the arena and what the crowd was like to sort of see LeBron like, uh-oh, he on one of those nights again. And there wasn't even a Ram like sitting in the front row. So, so I don't even know where he got his inspiration, Mike. Well, I think he was always, I mean, he liked early Kanye. I don't know what he's, what he's about, like with Kanye's recent stuff, which is obviously tailed out quite a bit, but Kanye was there. Um, who else was there? A couple of the people there. Kuz and KCP were there. He certainly enjoyed giving Kuz some buckets. They had some fun exchanges. Yes. And that, I mean, it, it just was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was good to see Kuz. Um, got to talk to him briefly before the game started. It's good to see KCP. And to get that kind of LeBron performance, I'll now try to filter this into the Suns game. I I don't expect that LeBron can do that twice in a row and Darius points out in our chat that LeBron's mom was there too yes uh, in fact his mom he got to go over and say what's up uh right after he checked out and she like she came over and gave him a little hug and I asked him about it in the walk-off uh and so that's that's definitely whenever glory is around like that's definitely a reason for additional motivation for sure um which he detailed but I at this stage of LeBron's career I think what's been clear all season long is that you can't expect LeBron to do that, to go for 50 and just completely carry the team and then go to Phoenix and do it again against that team that is particularly amped up every time they play the Lakers. And that wasn't necessarily helped after all of the quotes from AD, which is a whole nother topic before the game. Mm-hmm. Look, Phoenix was going to do that anyway. They're they're always going to have an inferiority complex with the Lakers. They still have they haven't won. The Lakers have been the roadblock. They finally now have the team that right now is better. And so their motivation to me is going to be there. They've got chippy guys anyway. Booker, Chris Paul, Jay Crowder. These guys are all really chippy. uh, And that, I think, is filtered down to some of the young guys. But, you know, LeBron comes out and the first three buckets for the Lakers are all at the rim. And they're they're running and they're moving. And they're, you know, Aiton's uh, Aiton got one bucket. But otherwise, Phoenix missed a couple shots at the rim. And then all of a sudden, it just... They hit, they hit you with that punch, and then Westbrook took a couple of ill-advised jump shots on the other end, and it was like, that was it. You know, the, the energy just completely sapped out, and the game, we saw what happened from that point on. They scored 48 points in the first quarter, but it was, it was over that quick. Oh, absolutely. That, the old Mike Tyson, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That was that's been the Lakers many times this season. That's been one of the stories is that they may come out with a bit of verve, but as soon as they face some adversity, they will immediately kind of pack it in and and start to reel. I, I was thinking during the Wizards game, I was thinking of you, Mike, when he was putting up that 50. I was like, I promise you, this isn't what I mean when I uh, talk about my expectations of LeBron. Right. It's either been these very disinterested performances or 50 and very little in, in between. Right. And so 
I, I did think, though, that it was a, a curious contrast, especially if we talk about we were talking a lot last night about team building going into next season and having all the fun conversations that we cannot have in official ways on the pod of like, hey, what do you think about this trade? What, what about these guys? Right. What about these free agents? And all you're of just that? making them want. To pay for the group chat. Again, That's right. Hey, Pete. We, but we got to have, on a personal level, as basketball geeks, we have to have that outlet, D, right? We, we need to have a place where we can have these conversations. And so we're, we're having that. And I think that one of the things that these two games this weekend kind of inform is what is the place of the LeBron at the five groups within a bigger picture, within next year? Because I don't think, I, I, you know, Vogel after the Wizards game, it, he was in such a different mood for obvious reasons after the Wizards game versus the Phoenix game. And uh, someone asked him in the post game about like, what do you do to like facilitate LeBron going off like this because it was the second time in three games that LeBron had just gone or second time in four games that he had just really gone off like that and he was like apparently putting LeBron at the five was the thing to do all along he said kind of tongue-in-cheek right but a guy like DeAndre Ayton D and even Kristaps Porzingis I think has been at stretches of games has been really um problematic for the microball groups. Now they overcame that in the Washington group, but that's exactly my point is there are places and where it fits and places where it doesn't. And I think it's going to be part of our future going forward. And DeAndre Ayton kind of showed the limitations of that, I thought, and the types of guys where I've been like, you know, you don't really have to go away from what you do with Jakob Pertle or Wendell Carter Jr. or these caliber players. But a DeAndre Ayton is going to bust your ass for going small. And he did exactly that. I've thought one of the ironies of this season back when we had higher expectations for this team was that I thought we were a small ball team all year. But if and when we played Phoenix in a, in a series, it would have to be a Dwight series that Dwight would need to, if not start, play quite a bit. So I'm curious. We saw these rim protectors, your Porzingis, your Gafford, your DeAndre Ayton, who's a finisher around the rim. I'd love to hear your thoughts, D, about how small ball fits within that. So against Ayton, one of the things, too, was that like LeBron wasn't defending Ayton to start. It right? was Stanley, yeah. It was Stanley. And, and so this is where... The Lakers aren't a small ball team. They're a micro ball team. They're very much like the Houston Rockets were. Like when AD's out, that's the difference, right? It's Yeah, small ball was supposed to be built around AD. This is supposed to be the look for 12 minutes a game with LeBron at the five rather than, you know, 35. Or even eight minutes a game. Sure. Man, like a shift. Yep. Maybe like a shift and a half where you're like where it's not quite a full shift, where it's a partial shift, and then you supplement it again with like a different look, right? But the lesson from playing a team like Phoenix and DeAndre Ayton is you need wings, right? And and so because the wings are the guys who help on the glass. The wings are the guys who sandwich rebound. The wings are the guys who can then basically functionally switch and at least keep Aiton from bulldozing you all the way to the front of the rim for tip offensive rebounds in ways that like matter, right? Like you need three dudes Carmelo Anthony's size or like LeBron James's size, right? Like six, eight, six, nine dudes who have who can play with a little bit of force. And if you have two or three of those guys on the court at the same time, then you can do something against those level of dude. But let's go to break here. 
because on the other side, I want to continue about like small versus micro and the lessons learned. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Pete, you're right about a player like Aiton. And one of the things that I thought about him specifically is 15 years ago, that was Dwight Howard, right? And so one of the things, it, it was like watching Aiton and watching Dwight be the solution that the Lakers were supposed to have against him was illuminating in its own right. It was this idea of like, no, Actually, the Lakers sort of fell on some bad luck with Dwight this year because this is Dwight's fall-off season to me. This is the season where he no longer looks like he can be a viable backup night to night to night to night. And even in matchups that are supposed to be ones that he can hang in or where his ability to impact the game it aligns with what his opponent does well he's still not quite there in those matchups too right and and so mike i don't want to turn this into a bashing of dwight howard he didn't play very much he started the second half i think even with him in the game the lakers looked functionally better in certain ways but then looked worse in certain ways too and this idea of how you play small when you're the Lakers, I think that A, they need more wings that they don't don't have, but B, they do need a viable big look as well to sort of supplement this. And without AD, I feel like the hole at backup center to me was pretty glaring against the Suns, especially. Yeah, the in the the whole idea behind microball is just because it's out of necessity to what the rest of the roster is and what the mm. other players that can be effective are. It's not, it's not because you looked, you looked at the roster or just, just thought, Hey, this is what we should do to zag with what the NBA is doing right now. It's out of, it's out of the fact that they don't have forwards and bigs, you know, that can come in and impact the game. Well, so the way that they win occasionally is because it does create a wide open paint for LeBron. And you cannot stop LeBron even. So guys, last night he scored 31 points. You know, he hit three five quarters. threes. He got to in, the rim in three quarters in 30 minutes. So he's, he, if you don't have a center uh, clocking the paint on LeBron and we saw this, even when Anthony Davis was the center and was spaced out some, because he wasn't always posting up. Like 
it is impossible to stop him. He's too big, especially when he's shooting threes over the top. So that's one thing. And sometimes it goes to the extent where he just keeps scoring and they win games because of it. But there are so many holes, especially defensively, and in this kind of a lineup. And nobody knows that more than Frank Vogel, which is why it's so difficult for him to coach uh, this type of a team. So I'm my seat in Phoenix is top three for media seats. It's right. It's the second row right behind where if you go to Laker games where, where Lawrence Tanner sits um, right behind the PA announcer. And so I get a really good look here. And that's it's the thing that I kept thinking about early in this game and really throughout was that the Phoenix blueprint now they they look a lot like the Lakers looked when they won the title, they're just big wings all over the place. You got Crowder and Bridges on the perimeter. Um, you Cam Johnson didn't play in this one, but he can come in. You've got even Landry Shamit was sized and Torrey Craig was sized. And they are they are prohibitive in terms of the types of looks that you get on the perimeter and the types of lanes that, that you can just see. Like they feel big when you're watching them. And that's how, again, that's how the Lakers a lot of times looked, even when they would go quote unquote small with Anthony Davis at the five. And I just love that style of basketball because it is, it is always going to be imposing and it's really tough to break down. It's really tough to get into and it's really consistent. And if you think about it, it's really the three through eight kind of that it's back to that three through eight, three through nine conversation. And a lot of the benefit that they get is that they've got, Aiton and Bridges and uh, Johnson on their rookie deals. Now that'll mm-hmm. change as the extension for, for Bridges kicks in next year. They have to figure out the Aiton extension. So that formula for Phoenix is going to start to change and it's going to be difficult to keep affording all of it. But right now they're in that really nice sweet spot. And of course the Lakers, you know, with Westbrook and what his salary number is, that takes up what almost what their entire three through eight makes and it's just a so then you're left to try to fill it to not have this conversation for the hundredth time. But that to me, just watching it, it's their their three through eight is almost all size and athleticism and youth and length. And it complements Chris Paul and Devin Booker so well. So it's the teams are far apart right now. And does Anthony Davis paper over a lot of that potentially? Yeah, but not all of it, which is what no. LeBron said when he was asked. And, and so we can save that for a little later in the pod. AD did speak for 16 minutes. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw a lot of those quotes, but yeah, let me let me set that aside so you guys can come back to to what I was just talking about if you want. No, to. I, I think your points about having size on the wing are are well made and informative to how to even play micro ball, right? Like we have spent 90 percent of our attention on what it means to go small on the center spot when that matters at at every position and it's something that you see that in phoenix manifest itself that and that i think in terms of how we build the team going forward that we have several players on this team d that I think are informative of the types of guys we should be pursuing. Like we need a better version of them going forward. We saw Wenyan Gabriel get his first action in the Wizards game and he played well. And in the respect that he ran the floor hard, he hit a three, his ability to space to the corner just makes the overall structure of that unit work a lot better. It's just, it's a less, (laughs) the Lakers offense has been, I've described it as constipated 
all year in that it just like it's clogged up. Right. And and that if you have the right spacing out there and you don't have two guys that just can't shoot at all, which is hard to do on this roster to put lineups of five guys like that, just all of a sudden it just looks a lot better. And even against a team that has a Porzingis and a Daniel Gafford who are respectable rim protectors or and Porzingis is actually quite good that if you space them out, you can exploit them on the perimeter, but you need guys that are able to shoot. And so that that phenomenon of even just a Malik Monk, a Stanley Johnson, a Wayne Gabriel, all of those guys are kind of archetypes of if we had a better version of Stanley Johnson, that's exactly the kind of player that should start alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis if you are going to go small. Because I do think that this type of framework, now with the one exception, I think we could get a stretch five that is big that can help absorb kind of that like Anthony Davis wants to play the four spot and roam on the perimeter and doesn't have to bang with anyone. If you can get a stretch five, Mark, Mark Gasol is an example of this, a big beefy guy that can handle those physical duties on the other end. So AD can roam around and terrorize the way that he does. But I, I, I think that both Mike's point about the types of guys that Phoenix has and the guys on our own team, even though they're lesser caliber players, I think it's informative on how we build the team going into the ne- this upcoming offseason. Yeah, man. And the Lakers have a lot of players who I like. Not a lot of players. They have several players who I like, right? I really like Austin Reeves. I really like Stan Stanley Johnson. I really like Malik Monk, right? And Mike, I think that they could play on like a version of the Lakers even next season because their skill sets fit the things that they're good at. Good teams need those things too. And their deficiencies when put into the context of more complete lineups, I think that you can you can skew away from those things more more often. Like on a quick sidebar, I was listening to the low post recently. Zach Lowe's pod, and he had this almost hour-long segment that I'm not through it yet, but because Greg Popovich just broke the all-time wins record for the NBA. And so Zach had taped all of these different interviews with a bunch of different people um, from around the league. And one of the constants that you hear about a coach like Greg Popovich is like he understood that not all of his players were perfect. In fact, he understood that a lot of his players had holes in their games. Right. But the idea of what are your strengths like Pete, you and I have talked about this a lot, too, like in the past, like, what are you good at? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's try to have you do those things more often. And the things that you're not good, good at that. Let's try to have be able to avoid you having to do much of that stuff at all. And the way that you do that is by fielding well-balanced lineups where other guys can compensate for the places where you might be weaker, and then you can compensate for them with the places where you're stronger, and then suddenly the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? And... I look at the Lakers and some of their young young guys, you're right, Pete, like, yeah, a better version of this guy would would be useful. But yeah, this guy is useful too. Sure. It's just that the 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 slotting of him on this particular version of the Lakers is trickier because the asks are just a little bit more than what they want. I mean, several of the guys who are starting D should be like I could see a good bench lineup 
on, on a good team, right? Like that's ultimately a, what we're looking at in our starting lineup, aside from Russ, right, is is a, a next year bench unit, right, that could be very successful. Yeah, let's go to break here because I want to keep on this point. So I look at like Frank talked about this, Mike, recently about Malik and Austin and how the analytics group had sort of said like, hey, there's something here with this pairing. And we'd seen it with the bench unit. And so we tried them as starters. Right. And but moving forward, if you could get versions of these players to fill out a starting line lineup, you could actually move them back to the bench and they could be helpful bench players for for this this team. And this idea of playing smaller, Pete, I think that players like Monk and Austin are sort of instrumental player types in order to be able to play some of these smaller lineups as well, because they are they are they are the different types of guards, I feel like, that you have that you can have and often need in functional small ball groups, right? Which is like, oh, look, here's a gunner scorer, right? Oh, look, here's a here, here's a connective guard that is going to be a ball mover. These are totally useful pieces on good teams and good teams that play bigger or good teams that play smaller. But if the Lakers are going to skew smaller, I think finding those skill sets is super important to me. Yeah, for sure. And I think that the other thing that I always lament just watching is what comes up more when you play a team like Phoenix that has almost their entire roster back from last year is that there's this shorthand that exists with that and and where they just know how to play and know where to be. And LeBron James can paper over some of that, especially if you give him a smart player like Reeves or Caruso last year, guys that just don't take long to figure out the right way to play around him. But there's so much of that lacking with the rest of the roster and the injuries, of course, haven't helped that that's that's one thing as we were talking about next year's roster, you try to figure out, can there be pockets of continuity within some of these lineups that carry over? And in that part is that's where some of the guards, I guess, at least would be the ones that would transition over because they're clearly there's going to need some new front court players, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, then that's that. I think that is a pretty simple fact that we've established. I, w- I want to zero in on your point about Phoenix having a lot of guys who know how to play and know where to be, especially the knowing where to be part. That is something that is one of the biggest differences between them and us over the last couple of seasons, Phoenix has earned a great deal of my respect over this past past year and watching them. And part of that is that they make the correct basketball play pretty much every time down and to a degree that is is greater than just about any team in the league. Now, part of that, of course, is having good players. Good players make the correct basketball play. But it is that idea of making the correct play rather than being more talented than the person across from you is what I want to focus on. There were two plays uh, very similar to each other in, I believe, the one was in the first quarter for the Lakers. And THT was driving from the right slot toward the middle. And Russell Westbrook was on the uh, was in the left slot, and it was kind of a semi transition situation. This play ends with a turnover by THT. Now, five out or four out style basketball is very drive and kick dependent, and it's very dependent upon dribble penetration principles. And this is very much a teach a man to fish versus give a man a fish type of coaching style, meaning that 
So if you have the ball, every other player has a relationship with the ball, meaning – so say you're standing in the corner. I'm sorry. This is this is hard to explain over audio without video over the top of it. So say you're a corner shooter and the guy at the top of the key drives to his left and you're in the right corner. Your job is to kick up, right? Your job is to relocate from the corner up to the wing because the player on the wing in a five-out set is supposed to replace the player who just dribble penetrated from the top of the key. So every duo on the court has a relationship. When the ball handler does this, you're supposed to do that. So let's go back to that play with THT and Russell Westbrook on the opposite side. THT drives middle from the right slot wing type of area. The player in Russell Westbrook's position can do two things, and this is what you do to react off of that in drive and kick situations. One of them is a kickback. We haven't talked about kickbacks in a few years, but this is something that Rajon Rondo used to do. Julius Randle and Nick Young had a great connection on this, where the ball handler is going to dribble in one direction, and then that other player is going to loop behind them. And what that ends up doing is the ball handler functionally sets a screen for that shooter. And so Nick Young, Julius Randle would be big. He'd drive right into Nick Young's man and then kick it behind him as Nick Young would loop behind. Nick Young has an open top of the cor- uh, top of the key three. KCP and Rondo would do this, right? And, and so that's one of the things you could do. The other thing is what's called the natural pitch. And this is what happened on this play with THT and Russ, meaning that as THT is driving toward the middle, there's Russ is supposed to continue drifting and staying in the passing window. I love coaching this. And this is one of the things I miss coaching dribble penetration principles because the kids and players like starting to see like, hey, look, if you slide here, there's a whole window. And then they see the shots start to pop up. Right. So Russ on that play, THT drives middle. Russ does not slide until it's too late. And so THT throws the pass toward the natural pitch and the ball goes out of bounds. Now, this is something that Russ, I, I wish I had an example that wasn't Russ because it's not just Russ that does this. This is a team-wide problem where we do not react to our dribble penetration principles. The guy that's supposed to do what he's supposed to do when somebody drives to the basket, they don't tee up, they don't you know, kick up from the corner, all of these relocation issues. Meanwhile, Phoenix, they do it the right way every time. I I forget who the shooter was, but Booker had a ball screen in the first half, and it's the same thing. And that shooter is sliding with his hands up in the natural pitch D, right? Staying in that that window. There are so many parts throughout a game that we do not make the correct play. Regardless of talent, right? Where we don't slide where you're supposed to. You don't do this the way that you're supposed to. You don't play basketball the way that you're supposed to in ways that go beyond just talent. And that is something that I'm more concerned about that than I am about wins and losses at this point. And it's a... It's a critique and criticism, not just of the coaches, it's of, of the players, of just all of the... It's an overall culture thing that we need to fix. So just an FYI, I'm so happy you brought up that play, the the Russ play. When that play happened, I said an expletive and I said, expletive Russ, right? If you're not paying attention, you might have thought like dummy THT or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, negative connotation you want to use towards THT. There he goes again, whipping the ball to no one because THT did not have a good game against the Suns. He played particularly poorly, I thought. And 
some of that was his own doing, but some of that was placed exactly like that, where it's just like, oh, look, he's doing something that is supposed to be creating sort of positive momentum within a play. He does the thing that he's, he thinks he's supposed to do, and then suddenly he's got a turnover. That's really not his fault. I've got another example that has nothing to do with Russ, has nothing to do with THT. And this happens maybe four times a game. And I'm going to choose one of our favorite sons, Austin Reeves. So LeBron has the ball at the top of the key. And all of these five-out scenarios that you're talking about, these relationships between ball and man from an offensive perspective and player positioning, these are all sort of instantaneous reads. And you should be making them all of the time. It's what should be on your mind especially when you don't play a lot of system basketball or don't run a lot of plays like the Lakers do. A lot of this should be based off of feel and, and understanding. So LeBron is at the top of the key and he's dribbling left towards Austin Reeves. Austin is standing there because initially Braun can do a couple of different things. One is he can play ball reversal player. He can get the ball at the top and he can just swing it by. Is is Austin on the wing or in the corner? Austin's on the left wing. So he's above the break on the left wing. LeBron starts dribbling at Austin a little bit. And so Austin has a couple of different things that he could do, right? He He could stay there, which is the wrong thing to do. He can start to drift corner and then the corner guy can leave and vacate right and everyone sort of in in the cakewalk or musical chairs everyone just sort of slides over a position braun is now where austin was austin goes to the corner corner man goes or austin which is the right play cuts back door and he just vacates yes yes that's what it means that's how you teach this there are ways of communicating that's called a dribble at and when you dribble at your teammate you are telling them i want you to cut to the basket and austin speaks this language he does and in this play austin didn't he stood there and he waited and he saw lebron and lebron was about six feet from him and then lebron signaled to him basically get out of here right it wasn't vicious or mean or anything but it was just sort of like quick little hand motion boom like you're gone and often cut right but the timing of those things was bad and now austin's cut does nothing it does nothing to open up lebron it does nothing to open up austin it's it's not a part of any sort of structure besides just rebalancing the floor but all you've done is eat up shot clock and that's a play that Austin scores a lot on. If, if you haven't noticed, he's been scoring on cuts and ball screens and all of that, in part because he knows like, oh, if they're showing high, that means I need to slip the screen. All of these, again, this if-then algorithmic nature of drive and kick basketball. So I don't want to super pick on Austin because he is smart and he does make this play correctly a bunch of times. But when you don't make it, it stands out. And, and it doesn't stand out because you're Austin and you make it correctly a bunch of times. It stands out because it's the wrong play. Because it's a mistake. It's a, it won't show up in the box score anywhere, right? But that level of, I don't want to call it disorganization, but it is a symptom of not being organized. It, it's also a symptom of not being as locked in. It's also yep. a symptom of a lot of different things within the structure of the, what the Lakers do offensively, that it's sort of just like, okay, well, we're sort of freelancing here. 
Like, what are we supposed to be doing a little bit? But, but even if you're freelancing, you have to have basic principles underneath it, right? Like if you're playing jazz, right, you're going to get chord charts and you're, you know, this is in G minor or, or whatever key it's in. And these are the chord. Now, what you do within that, and you can even go off scale a few times if you know when to go off of it. But you have to have that underlying structure, Mike, to be able to react off of that. And so that is what irritates me is if I, you know how excited I I've been about drive and kick basketball and seeing us play it so poorly in exactly the ways that that Darius is saying, like the way that I'm saying, that's part of the a bigger frustration that I've had with this season. First of all, I just I've heard your music, Pete. And so I was I was just interested that you brought up jazz as your now there are some jazz elements to your band, but that would not be the first. So I just I was curious if we're going to get a little Pete band insight there um, and the answer was no in this occasion. Now, I I would just posit back that the reason for that is that a lot of these guys haven't played the majority of their NBA basketball like that. And, you know, this is a, it's straight back to that same point. If you wanted to play a certain way, then trying to use the whole offseason is one part of it. But even that has been different with COVID without guys really being in the building. And then they haven't really practiced that much. And then they have to prepare for the next opponent. So I just think that, you know, when they've won games, it's been more because they've all come and played hard together. And, you know, whatever the style that has been or just LeBron comes out and scores 50. But I can't dispute your basketball points there at all. And they do have some players that I think would function well within a system like that. Um, I just I would rather have some bigger, tougher, more athletic wing type guys, you know, to play around LeBron and AD and regardless. But again, I don't want it to sound like it's disputing what you just said, because I'm, I'm well, with that. Here's the thing, though, Mike, is that Phoenix does that. These dribble penetration principles, for the most part, are universal. And so part of the reason that Phoenix is good is not just because they're big and have rangy wings. That is part of the reason why they're good, of course. But part of it, yeah. too, is that they are always going to slide into the window on the natural pitch. They're going sure, to sure. kick back. They're going to help the helper on defense. All of the stuff that every single player in the NBA knows how to do. But they have a, a culture and a, a degree of accountability where it's like we're all going to make the correct play. So even – if we get that that roster next year where we got those D and three wings, this is part of part of the value of a Danny Green, for example. Yeah. Danny Green knew when to relocate. He knew how to maintain the integrity of spacing. Those are all part of the reasons why guys, even in Austin Reeves, are high plus minus guys, is they do the correct thing in ways that 95% of the time aren't ever going to show up in, in the box score. Right. They show and up those, in the box score those, because you score yeah. more than the other team. Though. Yeah, well, exactly. And those players, <laughs> those players though – had played like that before, right? Danny Green didn't just come to the Lakers and all sure. of a sudden figure out, you know, so that's, that's all like I, that to me is a, is a personnel thing. And when you look at the guys that are playing minutes right now, there, there are some guys that just have never been players like that, you know, and it's yeah. hard. The NBA, this is where coaching is such an interesting concept in the NBA. I know we, because there are, there are some things that you, that you can coach. I'm sure Frank Vogel has mentioned some of these concepts, Pete, once or twice to certain players, right? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You know, and so that's why to me, it is, it, it, it's more on the players than on the coaching staff uh, uh, for the, in this, for this season's team. 
Well, can I just say, too, to sort of bridge all of this together, too, is like one of the reasons why the Lakers do win games is because the things that the that their current players are actually good at, they excel at those on that given night. Right. And so it's just like those nights where Malik Monk is super hot from the outside and creating shots and and goes on a binge scoring or one of those nights where Melo does go six for eight from from three or has his jumper going in in a way where it's just like oh well this is what these guys do right and so it's not the same as oh well what we really do is we relocate off the ball and we slide it and and we like that scenario play isn't necessarily what these guys are good at right and it's and the idea of let's coach them up I think there could be more of that. I also think like there's a fish to water. Like when I watch the Suns, there's a fish to water element about a lot of these guys that I think really does suit them in a way where the ask is just the right size for all of them. And they do seem to understand what the ask is. And then they're able to go out there and do it. And so one of the things I won't do is not put any of this back on the coaches because I feel like my sense of things is that the things that really matter to this coaching staff is defense. Yes. So there are times where I've seen Malik make wonderful low man rotations and be like, oh my God, is that Malik Monk? Because that's that rotation? What they focus on. Because yeah. they've been, that has been reinforced. How many times do you think a low man rotation has been reinforced on this team? And that's exactly my point is that if you look at Phoenix, Monty Williams took a lot of the same dudes from the year before. Obviously, Chris Paul is in terms of getting your team organized is way up there. Right. But part of the reason why a campaign all of a sudden after bouncing around the league campaign is like really good and helpful in this backup point guard role is because you get repetitions where everybody's in the right spot, making the correct read. And when they don't, you stop and you reinforce it just the same way that you're doing that with the low man reads on defense. Right. And so the mild adage of like Vogel tries to solve his problems with defense. I think that's part of it. I don't think that I, I know Mike was being facetious when he said certain things have been mentioned once or twice because it's more than once or twice. But in terms of reinforcing and getting something like really locked in to your team, it takes that over and over and over repetition that he puts in for a low man rotation that I don't think we put that same type of focus on relocations and maintaining integrity of spacing and drive and kick principles and all of that. One last point on that, Pete, is I think that you might see that in some of like the Lakers post-up offense stuff, but some mm. of the stuff that they're doing now is not what they started out the season doing. And that speaks to Mike's point is yes. like, if they would have been playing this way the whole year, and yeah. through preseason, you might have seen more progress in some of this stuff that isn't as frustrating 70 games into the season. Yeah, that's part of a bigger conversation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we got a busy week this week. We got the Toronto Raptors tonight and Scotty Barnes is a, a ton of fun. They got a bunch of wings that may kick our butts, but they don't have a ton of rim protection. So we shall see what we bring tonight uh, and we'll see if LeBron plays. We'll be back tomorrow to cover that. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. 
Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.